Hello and welcome to Talking Aussie Books, a new weekly podcast shining a spotlight on Australian fiction. My name is Claudine Tonellis. As a writer and avid reader, I love chatting about books. And in this podcast, I'll chat to authors, publishers and readers, giving you, dear listener, insight into what's hot on the Australian fiction scene. So if you're looking for your next book recommendation or just want to know more about Aussie fiction writers, this podcast is for you. Grab yourself a cuppa, sit back and enjoy. It doesn't seem so long ago now when I chatted to my next guest author about her debut title. In fact, it was about 13 months ago. Sadly, as we all know, the world today is a vastly different place than it was back then. Authors who are releasing books at this time are unable to launch their books at venues and events as they normally would and are facing unprecedented challenges in spreading the good news about their work. In such difficult times, it's never been more important to find silver linings. And one of those for me and many of you out there who listen to podcasts is reading. Books can transport you to another place, give us other things to reflect upon and take our minds off our worries, even if it's only for a short time. And I'm delighted to say that one of the best silver linings for me in recent days has been to read Cassie Hamer's brand new book, The End of Cuthbert Close. A fabulous, fun and insightful read about friendships, romance with a dash of intrigue thrown in for good measure. A thoroughly delightful read from one of Australia's best-selling authors. Welcome back to the podcast, Cass. Claudine Tanellis, that is the most beautiful introduction and I feel like I need to repay uh, the compliment by saying Claudine Tanellis, podcaster extraordinaire, has made such an amazing contribution to the publishing community an exceptional writer, all-around awesome friend. I can't believe that in that year we've become really great mates. I mean, that's such a a joy and a privilege for me. Indeed, and thank you. That is incredibly kind of you to say in return. It is my honour to be your friend and to have read this book is such a joy. Well, I really do appreciate you reading it because I know that you have a pretty decent TBR pile. So the fact that you managed to squeeze this one into it is is really lovely for me. Granted, it's not the best time to be launching a new book baby into the world, but I've been heartened to see the amount of love and attention The End of Cuthbert Close has been getting on social media and other online platforms. It really makes me appreciate the writing and reading community. Has it helped to ease some of your understandable concern about launching at this time? It really has. I was quite despondent about a week ago about this book. I thought that the bookshops would be imminently closed. I couldn't figure out how anyone would buy it or why they would want to buy a book when the world seemed to be uh, entering into such a dark time. But the lovely thing about this launch has been the way that the reading and writing community has rallied. I've just been floored by the amount of support online that I've received. And initially, when I was seeing scenes of people brawling in supermarket aisles over toilet paper, I felt quite despairing of the future of humanity. But my faith in people and their goodness has absolutely been restored. And that is a real positive that I will take out of this whole experience. You know, in a year or so's time, I hope that what I look back and reflect upon is the way that the community came together. 
it. Very well said, Cass. Now, I loved After the Party, your first novel, but I think I loved this one even more. Um, maybe it had something to do with the corporate lawyer character, Alex, because she was so <laughs> she was so incredibly real to me. Uh, or maybe it was the fact that you seem to be able to focus with pinpoint accuracy, I might say, on some of the big issues facing women today. So I wanted to ask you, what drives you to explore these themes? I am fascinated by motherhood and I'm fascinated by the way that women juggle their roles as mothers and also as providers. I think that there is a lot of pressure on women to get it right. In both scenarios, we're expected to be available to our children, but now we're also expected to make a financial contribution to the family. And I don't think that even in this day and age that men face those similar pressures. It's sort of a constant theme I just love to return to. It's like your tongue finding that chip on the tooth. I just like to go back to it time and time again because I think it's an area in which there's still a lot of progress to be made for women. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. So obviously I've read the book and I, as I've said before, I absolutely loved it. But for those who haven't, can you tell me a little bit more about it? Sure. So it's set in a place called Cuthbert Close, which really is an idyllic cul-de-sac. Uh, it's a bit like Wisteria Lane from Desperate Housewives, yes, yes. but but without the crazies <laughs> and talking dead people. So it's the, just the kind of street that you'd really want to live in. Like everyone's really friendly. The kids play together. There's cricket in the street. The kids go up and down on their scooters. Parents come out for drinks. And every year they hold an end of summer party. And the novel begins at this party and where perceiving the story through the eyes of three women, Cara, Beth and Alex, who live side by side. And not only are they neighbours, but they're actually really great mates. And they've bonded over motherhood, but also a shared love of food. So there's lovely parties going on. They've supposedly got a permit to close the street. But suddenly this massive removalist truck turns up at the end of the cul-de-sac and just turns everything to CRAP, um, <laughs> the party sort of descends into total chaos and the removal truck signals the arrival of the new family in the street, the Divines. Now, this family don't really fit in and their arrival sets off a train of events that cause really significant issues for all three women, Cara, Beth and Alex. What inspired you to write it? Well, they do say to write what you know, and this is my experience of uh, neighbourliness, I suppose, that you get the good neighbours and you get the bad. So about 11 years ago, I moved from the northern beaches in Sydney over to the eastern suburbs, and I had a very preconceived idea of what that would be, that everyone was a bit snooty and a bit up themselves. And, and look, to be honest, for the first couple of years, we weren't that friendly with our neighbours. And I clearly remember one morning um, when I'd uh, had a little baby in tow and my husband and I and the baby wandered around the corner to uh, witness an auction because that's what people in Sydney do. We go and watch auctions for fun. And um, as we wandered back, this woman said to us, oh, you're so lucky that you missed out on that place because this is such an unfriendly neighbourhood. You wouldn't want to live here. <laughs> no. Now, this woman 
was our neighbour. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. She's a woman that we had met and on a few occasions. So that to me sort of typified our experience at that time. But then we went on and over time we've made some really good friends. And a couple of years ago things changed completely because we did befriend a couple of other families with young children. We set up a WhatsApp group. And so not only are they neighbours, are they neighbours but they're really good mates and it's made me feel so connected to this community that it's very difficult now to ever imagine leaving but of course you take the good with the bad so while I do love living here we've had some absolute shocker neighbours who love to have parties all the time and so I absolutely adore some of my neighbours but I really can't wait for others to move on. And so I guess I wanted to write a book that explored that relationship because I think it's one that we maybe don't give enough credit to or explore that deeply because it really is a relationship that can make you feel so connected and enmeshed in your community. But if you're not on good terms with your neighbours, it, it can actually ruin your life. I mean, so many people have had shocking experiences. You know, some people, it gets to the point of massive animosity over fences, over pets, um, over children who are too noisy. Um, You know, I've had some really bad experiences of things happening between neighbours. And look, we all have to live right next door to each other. So we do have to learn to get along. So I wanted to write a book that sort of, looked at good neighbourly relationships and also at bad ones. I've spoken with a number of women authors on this podcast who've chosen to explore issues surrounding motherhood and the guilt and the inevitable disadvantage faced by women who choose to juggle families with careers. Why do you think guilt is such a strong thread in women's fiction these days? Oh, that's such a good question. I think because it's biologically inbuilt into us or, or it's somehow socially imposed upon us. I mean, guilt has to be the most wasted emotion, yet it is probably the most common experience that women go through. It feels like when you give birth to that baby, you you give birth and then the placenta comes out and it's like all the guilt is with it or something. It's like you're birthing guilt in that placenta. So, uh, look, I guess in a way it's a biological sort of reaction it it makes you respond to that child when the child cries you feel like oh I must do something my child is crying so perhaps it's biological but I think it is also societal and it's wrapped up in you know you could get really theoretical about this how it's sort of wrapped up in patriarchy and and um, the way that we've women have sort of been subjugated in society but uh, I definitely think it's just a really relatable emotion and something that when a woman puts up picks up a book and reads it that they can see a bit of themselves reflected on the page yeah most definitely I mean the overwhelming sensation I get from reading books like yours is that women are damned if they do and damned if they don't yeah I think that's true and why is it that we're always focused on what women should be doing and not on what men should be doing and how they could be leaning into the domestic sphere to make it a truly equitable society. I mean, we talk a lot about how, you know, women uh, should be freezing their eggs 
or women need flexibility in the workplace or women need access to childcare. But that totally ignores the fact that usually there's a partner involved in this and, and usually it's a man, not always. Of course, there are same-sex relationships, but I suspect similar dynamics in, uh, exist in those in that one person is sort of the breadwinner and, and the other is sort of takes charge on the domestic front. So I definitely see room for change in the future and and look I'd hate for people to think that my books are somehow preaching or or didactic I think the theme is explored in a pretty subtle and also a fun way because I I truly believe that humor can often be the best way to sort of make these points you're not heavy-handed with it at all it was just an interesting observation for me reading that because I could honestly say to you that I identified with all three of your characters on different levels and I think most women will you're absolutely right that we need to change our discourse from it being a female-centered discourse to a you mm. know parenting discourse I think that beyond the obvious biological differences between men and women and women carrying babies and and breastfeeding perhaps there really is no difference to what um, men and women can do in terms of parenting a child Uh, it's just that what inhibits us often is the expectations that are put upon us I suspect. So did you have to do any research for this book Cass? I did, but it was sort of fun research. It was research into things like food. And I went to uh, Eastwood, which is a suburb in Sydney, which is renowned for its uh, Korean food culture. Uh, And if you read the book, you'll understand why that is. Uh, One of my main characters is a first generation Australian of Korean parents and food plays a massive role in her life. So that was one of the fun things that I got to do. And along the way, you sort of have to delve into lots of different subject areas. I have family who are lawyers, so that helped a little bit in relation to formulating the character of Alex, who, as you mentioned, is the corporate lawyer. Um, I'm a stay, well, I was a stay-at-home mum. I'm now sort of a blended working mum, but work I work from home, so I could draw a lot of my own experience to formulate the character of Beth. Mm. So with writing books, it's it's a bit of a mixture in terms of what you have to research and what you draw upon with your own experience. I think that the general wisdom is that a character is one-third yourself, it's one-third someone you know, and it's one-third your imagination. And I would say that pretty much uh, reflects what I do. Now, talking about characters, there is an interesting character's voice that runs through the narrative of this book, and he is called the primal guy. Tell me about him. Oh, he's an idiot. (laughs) (laughs) I can't tell you how much fun I had writing the primal guy. So the primal guy, just to explain, is the husband of Charlie Devine, who is the new neighbour who moves into Cuthbert Close. So he's an online wellness guru. And I just loved poking fun at the wellness industry because it's so ridiculous sometimes. <laughs> and the stupid fad diets that 
that they promote and the stupid sort of um, philosophical ideas, like they're not all stupid. Of course, a lot of people find a lot of comfort and, and reassurance in, in getting that sort of advice. But it is pretty funny and um, it was sort of an easy character to write because we as a society tend to put some of these wellness gurus up on a pedestal and it's almost like we're setting them up to fail. Like, you know, Michelle Bridges and, and the poor woman, everything that she's been through lately with uh, being caught drink driving and, and, and what a terrible blow that's been to her career. And, and in a way, it's awful the way we set these people up almost to fail. Um, but I guess the point that I'm trying to make in this book is that when it comes to wellness, all is not necessarily what it seems. Now, as I understand it, your publisher is running a competition um, at the moment and it involves the primal guy. Um, you could win a $500 visa card just by signing up to the primal guy's blog and telling Harlequin in 25 yeah. words or less how entrants celebrate with their local community. So I wanted to ask you about that. How did that come about? That was just a bit of marketing genius from my uh, publishers. So I'd written these series of blog posts which appear throughout the book and it's me writing as the primal guy. Mm. And so the publisher just had a great idea to sort of, you know, create the persona of the primal guy as sort of a real guy and get readers engaged by sharing, obviously, what their favourite community celebration is. Yeah. Um, so just a bit of a fun way to get some interest in the book and expose people to some of this guy's more wacky ideas. Well, he is hilarious and a bit of an idiot at some points, but thoroughly entertaining, I have to say. Yeah, he's very much based on real life. I mean, there are these people out there and it's not hard to find them, that's for sure. So the primal guy, one of his main sort of philosophies is that everything he does is sort of in order of looking good naked. That's his <laughs> massive ambition in life. I tell you, there are people out there and that is their main ambition. It's LGN, look good naked. Far out. <laughs> I know, he's got the time, right? No one ever sees me naked except for my poor husband. So I'm, and I'm not even bothered about impressing him. He gets what he gets is my attitude. <laughs> oh, marriage, so much marriage, fun. indeed, indeed. <laughs> So, Cass, what would you like readers to take away from this book? I'd like them to take away a smile and the sense of having had a bit of fun but also an escape and having been engaged in a really great story. And I think as we go through these very difficult and challenging times, I'd like them to know that they are not alone and that they live in a community and that they have neighbours and that hopefully those neighbours are there for them. I certainly feel that in my community. I'll give you a brief example. The other day we went to the supermarket. My daughter is a celiac and she eats gluten-free wheat bix. Of course, the uh, aisles were cleared out of all wheat bix. Um, I posted on Facebook just making a bit of a joke saying, ah, ha, ha, all these people out there now eating gluten-free wheat bix that now taste like cardboard. But anyway, within a couple of days, two of my neighbours had supplied to me 
some boxes of gluten-free wheat pigs, having seen what I'd put on Facebook. And I think that's the beauty of being on good terms with those close to you. We are all in this together. Who better to help you than the people who live right next door? And, and I hope that's of some comfort and reassurance to people in this difficult time. Now, as you know, there are many writers who listen to this podcast. What advice would you give to anyone out there who wanted to get their work published? My advice would be... This is always a really tough question because I feel like I have a million pieces of advice (laughs) and it's hard to distill it into one pithy piece of it. But my advice would be is find what motivates you. For me, it was the idea of getting towards the end of my life and looking back and having serious regret that I hadn't attempted to write and publish a novel. I just felt like I couldn't live with that sort of regret. That still is in my head when I sit down to write. I just want to leave this world with no regrets of not having tried. You do have to prioritise your writing. I know it's really difficult, but the only way to get a book published is to sit down and write it. I also highly recommend that at some point in your writing process that you engage an independent reader to review your work. And even though I now have a contract with Harlequin, I still pay an external editor to review my work before I submit it to the publisher. For me, I need that fresh set of eyes. My other piece of advice is a piece of advice that my uni lecturer once gave to us. It was that... All writing is rewriting and that is so true. I'm the kind of person who would just love to dash off a first draft and say, here, there you go, it's done. But that's just not the way it is. Your first draft is never your best work. I read the other day that, in fact, a first draft is 10% of the effort that you're going to need to put into that finished product and the other 90% is reviewing and redrafting and looking at each individual word. So that's my advice. I know it's a bit (laughs) deflating, isn't it? But, you know, okay, so I should finish on a positive. Do it because you love it. And that's something that does also keep me going, Um, especially at this moment in world history. It is so fun to sit down and make up silly stories for a living. That is a joyful experience. So I wanted to ask you, what do you think is the best thing about being a writer? Being able to work in your tracksuit pants. (laughs) Really enjoyable. No, I'm serious, actually, because there are some days where showering and getting changed just seems like a waste of 20 minutes of my time (laughs) and I don't have to do it and it's lovely but as I said the other really enjoyable thing is just making stuff up I was about to swear then (laughs) yeah making stuff up um it's really fun someone once referred to writing as problem solving and I think that's so true because what you're really trying to do all the time is put your characters in really difficult situations and then sort of try and help them out again. So I often walk around the park, same park you walk around, Claudine, yeah. and think about problems for my characters but also how to get them out of them. And it just stops me thinking about myself and my own issues and worries and, you know, for me – getting outside of my own head is really a nice place to be. Absolutely. Walking is a great therapy, I think. Yeah. 
So what's next, Cass? Are you working on anything else at the moment? Always working on something else, Claudine. You should know that. <laughs> no, I, I have just submitted a third book to Harlequin and awaiting feedback on that sometime later this year. It will be published in 2021. And then in the meantime, I've moved on to the fourth book, which I'm having, which is very early days. Uh, but I'm having a lot of fun because I'm listening to, it's going to sound a bit out there, but I'm listening to lots of podcasts about nudists and naturists. Mm. Fascinating. <laughs> oh, it's really quite, it really is quite a lot of fun at the moment. So uh, that, that first draft phase is, is really enjoyable because that is where you let your imagination roam free. So that side of it I do really enjoy the editing's tough editing is tough like that's there's no way around that but um just creating that is fun if listeners wanted to connect with you how could they do that probably best to go to my website which is cassiehamer.com and from there you'll find links to all my social media accounts I'm on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and if you type in Cassie Hamer into any of those you'll find me and I would love to hear from you Oh, that's wonderful. Cass, I wanted to congratulate you on a wonderfully funny and insightful book in the end of Cuthbert Close. May they fly off the shelves, my friend. I hope so. I just hope the bookshops remain open. So fingers crossed. But thank you so much, Claudine. I appreciate the time and the effort that you put into this podcast and your questions. They're always really thoughtful and you display great knowledge of the book, which not you know, not everyone does that in preparing for these sorts of things. So thank you. Thank you so much for joining me on Talk Aussie Books today. An absolute pleasure to have you. Thanks, Claudine. See you soon. Well, that's a wrap, folks. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes or drop me a line via my Instagram at Claudine Tinellis or on my webpage, claudinetinellis.com. Thanks for listening. Until next time, happy reading. <laughs>